Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys. This is, this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different jobs, different lives, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We're your hosts. I am P.S. McKay, and I learned that my old high school, our old high school, is going to be torn down, and I now realize that I can never really go home again. I'm DT Catman, and it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I went there all four years, and... Would it have been nice to have done the walkthrough this weekend? Sure. Did it break my heart to not do it? No. <laughs> so, I mean, it's okay. Uh, I had good memories there. You know, I actually had better memories in college, you know, but I yeah. had good. I had a good group of friends. Um, so I, I have found myself clinging to a lot of nostalgia particularly since I retired, but this was not one of them that I clung to. <laughs> it's interesting. You, and I can, I respect that. And that that's fair. I nice am, memories, but I've made better ones in a lot of yes. ways. There, there were one or two, there's one, one or two regrets. A longtime friend of mine who passed, when I was in college, who passed from leukemia, um, a lot of that person's family was there. Kind of wish, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been nice to have done a link up there because I've missed so many of these things. But for the most part, I mean, no major regrets. I was sit- I was back home and, you know, right down the road, but I was exhausted from the long week I had. <laughs> yeah. So, a lot um... of moving wheels with the family and mostly good uh but still tired and yeah i'm no spring chicken anymore no and it's that's creeping up on us um i i got surprisingly hit i've only went to the i only went to that school for one year um but i but you know it was going to that school after being around all of our friends for what six seven years prior to that yeah so it's like you know i had all my groups and friends there you were there and everything and so seeing all those photos of this building that i only have photos of the inside from dance couple you know couples pictures at the dances at like the winter stuff or like the spring dance or whatever like i don't i don't have any photos of the inside of the damn school so I saw these photos and I got, I'm like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. And then I'm like, yes, that's right. The cafeteria was in some weird odd shaped corner. And there were three of them. Yeah, one on were... top of the other. And the top one was Taco Bell. So <laughs> did that change? No, I, no, I don't know. I mean, Taco, ooh, Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good, but <laughs> yeah, I um, seem to recall that. Look, you know, and it reminds me, you know, some. Of, I got, I didn't get as much nostalgia for some of the things because I have a lot of friends who were in band and like art and whatnot, but that just wasn't yeah. me. So they were showing pictures of the school that I didn't really spend any time in. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, there were some pictures of the gym and there was definitely one picture of the pool, which was empty and stripped. And that was a little disappointing. Um, I got scuba certified in that pool. 
Well, Scuba Steve, good for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying. I was surprisingly caught in the member berries. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nice. But like I said, it, you know, I've had other experiences, like just driving through my hometown since I've come back and seeing yeah, all the drastic little... changes. Yeah. All right. So you're hit. You you've already been hitting the member berries. No nostalgia. <laughs> I think I'm gonna dive in. It, you know me well enough to know that I don't get onto a ton of this ridiculous slang. I had to memorize 20 years of slang. I got my own. Thanks. <laughs> so as soon as you graduated, you're out. You're done. The kids can do what they do. I retired. I retired from twenty years of fucking slang and acronyms and stuff. <laughs> I still have a hard time breaking that after, you know, nine months. So, it is what it is. There was something that I saw, and I there was something that our kids reacted to that we said slang about. It was something innocuous, but I can't remember now. You bring it up, and that it, it triggers it. But. Uh... Yeah, so you had a pretty busy week. You, you got to see the 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 wife and daughter, daughter. Sorry, I think I put an S there at the end. Um. <laughs> you know, we walked through the old neighborhood, me and my little one, and we walked by your old house. Ah, they did oh, some work on that. Somebody built a full court basketball court in the I backyard. Saw that, and my old tree house that that when we built is. Long been gone. I think the tree is gone. I think the tree is gone. Yeah. <laughs> there's a I've, there's been a lot of deforestation in in and around some of the areas we grew up. Oh man, yeah, that was a big patch of forest right there. That I mean, it had to have been owned by all those houses. It just wasn't developed. Right. Yeah. You know, there was this the the tree lines between you and what was it? Uh, was Nellie's house behind you guys? Uh, Jess. No. Tall oh, blonde no. dude. Huh? Tall blonde dude, Nelly. Oh, Nelly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was behind and to the left. Yeah, behind and to close. the left. Yeah, so he well, would walk you know, through the woods. Your neighbor had their aunt and uncle right behind them, and then their grandparents yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. loves Raymond. Yeah. No, I, but but I would he and I would walk through the woods and meet on the other that other street where the yeah. donut was. Uh mm-hmm. not Donut Pond, but the donut. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but... I walked around both this weekend. So oh. oh man. Anyway. I, I look at that house. I actually was able to save photos of the inside from the last time that house sold on Zillow. Cool. So that was kind of nice. I got to see my old bookcase. It's still there and everything. Uh, Excellent. Anyway, enough about enough about that. On to more important things. Let's talk about Star Trek for a second because I need to get this off my chest. Hmm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a joke in there somewhere, but no. let's go along. 
it's been a bit it's been a big week in star trek uh picard is airing uh in concurrency with uh discovery no i know well this past week it was yeah. uh they announced they announced kirk who's going to be playing the new kirk in strange new worlds for season two which that's a whole other discussion for another day by the way um i think it makes sense but I think the biggest thing was the big, uh, big cameo on Discovery of Stacey Abrams. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, I've unplugged from a lot of politics and stuff over the years. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know who she was. I mean, I looked her up. <laughs> no, I didn't. And it, it's not for any lack of, you know, political disagreement or anything, but. I mean, there's a lot of people making a big deal about it, and that's great and all. And uh, I mean, I'm no Ted Cruz who's going up there and just fucking losing his shit about it. <laughs> I, it just, it, it, I wouldn't. I didn't know Ted Cruz was a Star Trek. Fan. I honestly wouldn't have known who she was <laughs> if everybody else wasn't making a, a big deal about it on the internet and everything. Yeah. And I was like, the name when I heard the name, it sounded she sounded familiar. But not anybody I had. I mean, if Kamala Harris had walked out as the president of the Federation or a president of Earth in the future, I mean, that yeah, would be president of ham- Earth. That would have been a little ham-fisted, I think, to shoehorn in the currently serving vice president in a role. But um, I think it's nice. I mean, Star Trek has had other political figures. No, that would be my question because I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. Now we're not King talking about Jordan. characters. King of Jordan is a non non U.S. political figure. I just said a political figure, but he, the right. King of Jordan was a guest was a uh, an extra when he was still Prince of Jordan. He was the Prince, yeah. He was the Prince, he but is he the is the King, isn't he? He yeah, is the King of right. Jordan. So I mean, and I remember, I remember him. I remember that cameo in Enterprise. Well, they made a pretty big deal about it i mean he was like the crown prince the next in line for a country <laughs> and and that i understand that but that's a that's a neat little novelty and everything but has any other u.s because this is a first for star trek as far as i can tell has, has any other u.s politician guest starred on star trek in any way well the question i don't know if it you know We'd actually have to look to see if anybody has actually actually. I think J.G. Hertzler ran for political office, but he had already been on Star Trek. So like, some right? These, well, some same as people, George Takei. Right. Some of these actors <laughs> who are career actors ran for political office. I mean, but that's that's backwards. I, but, I'm talking about career politicians, right? In the U.S. in the U.S. system on Star Trek, and I don't think I don't think we we've ever had one and if they were none of them nearly as as visible and and uh involved on the political spectrum as stacy abrams which yeah. forgive me i, I, I mean a very impressive resume i've heard nothing but stacy abrams for the last four and a half years so <laughs> Isn't she out of georgia she is she ran for governor back in two 2018 
Um, I don't, I, I'm not too familiar with her. She's a civil rights lawyer, activist. I don't Excellent. know if she's run for other offices, but she's very big on the political spectrum right now. Like, she's going to be running for some other office sometime real soon. And she well, was up. She was up for vice presidency. She, she was one of the 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 short list that Biden was going to pick from before he picked uh picked Kamala, Kamala. I, you know, I mean, there are a lot of good candidates out there, um, and I. I we're not talking about via, viability of candidates, but no, I'm just talking about people who may have had enough. You know, Schlitz to actually, you know, get on Star Trek. You know, the, the one thing I will say that has has I've seen some some debates about is you know there are people who debate whether or not can conservatives like Star Trek. You know, or what about Star Trek appeals to conservatives and. I don't know. I I was fairly conservative um, when I was younger, but it always appealed to me. I believe I was a bit of an idealist, but you know, I was more. I guess I was more of a centrist. But when I can when I use the term conservative, I mean just not extreme. You know. Yeah. Okay. That that's. If you make <laughs> I mean, a conservative that's literally the estimate, definition. <laughs> right. If you if you make a conservative estimate, it means you're not going. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that the house is going to be uh, four million dollars. Uh, no, it's about seven hundred thousand. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, a conservative estimate. Well, you know, I think. Yeah, I think this job might take uh, you know two weeks to complete. Oh, it, you know, it took. Like uh, fifteen days. Okay, so it was a conservative estimate, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just never had major swings of the pendulum politically. So right, I, but and, I thought, but centrist, conservative. You know, I'm, I'm not right wing. I'm not left wing. So uh, I, I've always found a lot of appeal in Star Trek. You know, I, when I was younger, I was much more idealistic. There's a lot of things that appeal to me about Star Trek as somebody who has seen a lot of horrible things because there's that part of me that was idealistic that hopes that someday we can reach that point. Right. So, I mean, it's hard. To, I mean, you know, you have political figures now getting into the entertainment spectrum to try to garner votes or raise popularity. I mean, how many TV shows and guest spots and interviews, you know, basically non-politically related technically did Obama do? Uh well, I mean, he did um, everything which which technically I mean, president, he was not when he was running. No, as president, no, he did as everything. President. Be in and but Barack Obama is a break the mold kind of politician. Right, but now everybody's doing it. Yes. Now right. everyone's doing it, and I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, I, I well, really it's hard don't. To, the lines are blurred right now, you know? You have yeah. actors and singers and musicians 
telling you basically how you should vote. And then you have, you know, your politicians showing up on like Saturday Night Live. Or, I'm like, come on, guys, give me a break here. Yeah. Church, and church and state, motherfuckers. <laughs> church and state. <laughs> And, and and SNL gets the pass because, you know, they've always had that tilt towards uh, politics and everything. My thought is because I, I was I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'm like, hmm, this might be a thing with with having Stacey Abrams on Discovery where Star Trek always told. And, and I hate this. I hate it when people say Star Trek was always political. And I'm like, yeah. From a humanist perspective, like it mm. talked about, it talked about solutions to problems. It was still pretty political, though. I it mean, was, you definitely got a feel for Gene's politics through this. Uh, but of course, but of course, but at least earlier on, uh, yeah. And then, and then TNG really went into the whole humanist thing where they 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 talked about like ethical issues uh the episode when data has lol and starfleet wants the offspring to, yeah the offspring and starfleet orders this admiral orders data to give up his daughter and picard has to jump in belay that order well it's and, definitely a, it's basically a sequel to the measure of a man absolutely and and the the but that talked about they have the right to live. That was a human thing. How do you live if you can't live by your own hand? Right? Yeah. They weren't gonna they weren't gonna destroy her or anything. Uh they might as well have. But it did, it talked about parental rights. It talked about the ability to be able to procreate, to 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 guide your own your own destiny in that sense. That was a very heavy episode. That that was masterfully crafted. Yes, and you can do things masterfully crafted. Some of my issues with things like Discovery was that it just feels at times a little too heavy-handed. Now, I'll say this. There's Not been a few episodes crafted. this this year that have really skewed towards the exploration, the first contact, the delving into your own psyche. A little bit. Mm -hmm. The feel of. Without trying to do the new trick versus old trick. Kind of debates the feeling of. The what's seeing what's out there. Vibe, you know, yeah. Picard says that at the end of Encounter at Farpoint. Let's see what's out there. Oh, yeah. Right? I was mean, almost a call to that in, at the first episode of Picard this season, I think. Right. You know, you get that feeling. You know, Rios is on the new Stargazer, and they're out exploring. A, there's an anomaly, so let's go check it out. And You know... Okay, so you're seeing that you're seeing that trend in in discovery now. But here's my point, right? We we do see the writers trying to make some kind of course adjustments. They did that at the end of season two by sending discovery off 900 years in the future, well, only to come to back to strange you. new worlds where they're back in the same canon conundrum. 
I, you know what? I actually have a good feel for Strange New World because I think Anson Mount nailed Pike. If you look at his Enterprise, it definitely looks, even though it's more updated, it definitely looks more like it fit in with the prequel-ish or the TOS era a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, is no. it glitzy and glamoury? Sure. Because we're like 70 years, you know, or six, 60 years, you know, better in technology. So I'm willing to give a little bit of wiggle room on that. Um, but I think Anson Mount nailed Pike. I, it was nice to see a personality given to number one. I think Ethan Peck makes a very interesting young Spock. In fact, you almost get that borderline emotional Spock you see in the cage. Well, yeah, yeah that that's that's a developmental uh, problem though, because they didn't define what Spock was at that point. I know, but it's it's a nice touch because you can just see that this Spock got when it's kind of like when you see somebody go from really immature to like really mature like i used to be out of control and now i'm very restrained you know right and then spock begins to mellow again particularly after he died you know and he kind of once he's relearned who he is and then you see him particularly as old spock in the jj <laughs> abrams which by the way he killed it as old yeah. Spock, particularly in the first in in star trek 09 we're going off the we're going off the track that I wanted to to expound upon here, but um, weren't we talking about um, Spock? I thought that's what. That's what... <laughs> Bringing it back to this this brave new world of of having politicians guest star in Star Trek, and you you brought up this question like how can conservatives enjoy Star Trek? The writers made a bold move by doing this because I feel like they made a stance to say Star Trek only stands for the Democrat. Yeah. And and I don't There's like that because I want Star Trek for everyone. That's what Star Trek is. Is that not? Edic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And yet I feel like they've gone out and they just decided we're going to tell who we want as our audience and anyone anyone who doesn't agree well they can just go f off there there has been i've seen some youtube posts you know some uh discussions about that where basic and i get it star trek really is a kind of liberal utopian ish version of the future particularly the federation and its prime even though when you look at its prime there was still a lot of flaws but you know that tng level of the federation that you know that federation ideal that cisco and company were trying to save during the dominion war that reason that janeway and company were trying to get back that sort of thing it's hope Right. They're not fostering hope here. 
I think the message that they were trying to make with that, because if you listen to her discussion with Burnham, it definitely, there is a vibe of hope there. Would people have, you know, approved <laughs> this message more if it was Pete Buttigieg? Buttigieg? Um, Buttigieg. Buttigieg, sorry. Matt. Sorry, Pete. Boy, you are not in the political spectrum at all, are you? <laughs> I was a tool of, dipl- of you were, diplomacy. You, that's I was true. A, you were a tool of the political spectrum. Very much so. Oh, and that's a horrible I way to I have put my it own too. opinions, but you're not going to get the, the deep truth from me in public. Well, I'm not asking not, for the deep that's truth. That's nobody's fucking business. Then absolutely correct. And you're 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 right. I mean, and and there's not much more to expound upon this because we're not going to have any answers to this. Nope. This is this is my thought. They went ahead and they cast a, a very prominent and very polarizing political figure, whether you love her or hate is, her. Is there a is, political figure that isn't polarizing? Uh, John Glenn. Dead. I know he's dead. I mean, that's the thing. They stop being polarized when they die, you know? Um, Well, I'm sure he had opponents. I mean, yeah, was he, you know, an American hero? I think so. But I'm sure there were people who disagreed with his politics. I'm sure he might have believed some, you know, or had some things that people had issues with. John Glenn was the kind of man that every person needs to aspire to be, regardless of what politics or, or that he espoused he just practiced who he he felt he needed to be which was a good person and i don't think that i don't think anyone can just who knows him can dispute that or you know i i'm sure this episode was completed before this happened but colin powell would have been a good choice <sighs> i don't know maybe he flipped he did flip you're but, right, but I think your 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 question is: Is there someone who is safe uh, safe enough to do it? And I don't, I don't think there is. So no, why do I, it? Because that's what Discovery does. They polarize. Yeah, I mean, we can't go back to comfort zones in Star Trek. It's just not going to happen. I mean. You know, it's as so much funny though because <laughs> as Lower <laughs> Deck truly shows previous iterations of Star Trek, people don't like it. Why it's animated? Two, it's only half an hour. Three, it's a comedy. Four, maybe the humor's not up your alley, or maybe they cram too many Easter eggs in it. Or, but I mean, if you're looking for that nostalgic feel of the Star Trek you saw, that's probably the closest you're going to get. Or maybe, you know, maybe you get that with seeing Jean-Luc Picard in Seven of Nine. Guinan, Q, Riker, Troy, Hugh. Maybe seeing these old faces again gives you that comfort. Well, Picard proved last year, shit's not comfortable in the 25th <laughs> century. Right? No. No. Troy and Riker lose a kid. Hugh gets murdered. 
completely unnecessarily, uh, you know, talk about wasted appeal or L or um, Echeb just, you know, torture. I mean, yeah, I mean, as his eyes point Bruce out, Maddox, I mean, just to to be there to, you know, he's a MacGuffin, you know. He was there to be murdered by his love interest. Yeah, it, they killed lab partner. They killed three existing characters, generally minor, but still brutally, brutally. Yeah. So, so I, you're right. We're not going to have that comfort in Star Trek anymore. And fine. But the question was, but I do was find comfort really in the Orville. When you watched in the pale moonlight, did that not kind of fuck with your mind just a little bit? I loved it. It I loved was great, it back then. But it was I loved dark. It. It was something that I felt we needed because but it was also because something here's, that here's what happened really before. No. And I got to tell you, I mean, I've patterned my morality levels. Now, do I do I look upon TNG and DS9 and Voyager as like the Bible or, or, or the Ten Commandments? No, but I've patterned I patterned the kind of person that I want to be morally off of those major character designs. You know what I mean? And we've I learned get, this. I get it. And <laughs> before we go further, I just have to say, fuck you. What? Because I didn't want to dive down this fucking rabbit hole that everybody else is doing about Stacey Abrams. Okay? Okay. But now we're in it. We've been on well, this for like 20 minutes. Okay, well, we're out now. I mean, we already talked about all we can. I mean, we're we're pretty much wrapping it up. I was just saying, we can't. You're right. We can't go back to the is, the comfort this is zones. This of our episode space, genius. Oh please, we record for at least another forty five minutes to an hour after something like this. But this topic deserves <laughs> time. And this well, the, well, there's nothing else time. to talk about. I don't see. I don't see what else there is to talk about here. Because I always, not, I already was beginning to wrap it up. We are, was, mm, we are our own thing. Oh, you're you're down the same rabbit hole as everybody else. You're so mad. You're so mad. I Unnecessarily. Am, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that this is an interesting topic. I just didn't feel that we needed to do the same thing every other sci-fi podcast or YouTube channel has done in the last week and I'm make just, a big deal out of this. I'm not trying to make a big deal. I'm asking a, I'm asking a, a question on how inclusive Star Trek is by doing this. Well, they're trying to show inclusivity. I will say that, you know, they have just about everything that you could possibly look for in Discovery, where you have uh, transgender, non-binary, uh, you have homosexual couples, you have um, minorities in positions of authority. You probably have someone along the autistic spectrum. Maybe multiple people. Mm. When you kind of look at some of the crew makeup, and this is no knock on autism or things, but just if you look at... Tignataro has no... <laughs> Tignataro's character, what's her name? Jet Reno? Yeah, she may actually be a sociopath just because she... of her her lack of compassion. At times. <laughs> she absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely is. Uh, just... 
she's still hilarious. Uh, but you know, you have you have a minority female in command of Discovery. You have a right, okay, completely make- mixed mixed race for races. The president of the Federation. You've made your point. So I've I mean, already it, said it's very inclusivity. You know, I mean, the thing I, the, the questions that, you know, you ask is, you know, is the inclusivity natural? You know, because you see shows where you can tell, you know, diversity has been shoehorned in. I I don't think for the most part they have really shoehorned in much. I honestly didn't feel like that either about Discovery. No, but I've heard a lot of people have these debates. You know, and I mean... I, <laughs> I don't know what it's like I'm back more on the East Coast. I'm but... about the fucking Klingons <laughs> than I am about... You know, any not that I would be ever, but if you're going to get me wound up about Discovery, it's going to be about what they did to the fucking Klingons and and the technology gap between Discovery and everything else that we've seen. Spore Uh, drive. Yeah, that's that's, all just a blatant attack, of course. As a Star Trek fan, (laughs) you know, I mean. Yes. All right, I'm wrapping it up, okay? You didn't want to go down this path. I, I'm trying to wrap it up now. So well, we're in it now, man. I mean... I honestly... We've got enough time to talk about what our topic was. I don't... Not for me. You really don't? No, I really have a lot of stuff to say on, oh, on what this original topic was. But you had to know that going in. Honestly... Okay, this is this is my selfishness where I, I apologize. I did not put myself in your shoes. I try to a lot. I try that's what I try to do all the time. This instance, it was a complete lapse of my judgment. But I apologize for that. It's okay, man. It's all right. I mean <laughs> we went off the rails on our last one, right? <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, and, then maybe maybe since we've already kind of talked about the diversity, <laughs> inclusivity, and politicalness of some current Star Trek incidents, why don't we just continue along with a, a, you know, a little further discussion on that, okay? Because Discovery is very much that. Now, while Picard definitely is trying to feel like a continuation and a sequel of mostly known stories, right? Yeah. The yeah, I I just feel like I I know you're about to say something, and let me just real put this in here real quick because mm-hmm. it might dovetail into what you're about to say. Sure. I feel like, especially with Picard, all they're doing is they're taking all these Easter eggs and references, putting them in a blender, and then throwing them up on the page. And they're just doing it for the sake of doing it so that it can So help. you're saying they're making scrambled eggs? I feel like they are. Like, they, they went out of their way in the, the, the first episode of season two to make the Federation look happy and joyous and very unlike what it was in season one. 
Well, it was two years later. Okay. So let's go with that. It's two years later. I think there's been a bit of a social reckoning in the Federation. Where now it probably should have taken 10 for it to reach this point if we're talking realism. <laughs> but you're seeing changes where maybe people in the Federation kind of realized we've lost our way. Well, like, uh, yeah. There, there's a little bit of that. You can kind of get a feel, and yes, could any outsider take a look and go, man, the backlash from season one sure did an impact on season two? Sure. I'm sure that's actually what happened. But they gave you a two-year time jump, right? Yes. Two years can be a long time. Might not be. Depends on whether you're deployed or in prison or something. (laughs) But you see... Yeah, is it a little Easter eggy? Sure. Is all of Star Trek pretty much post the original series Easter eggy? Hell yes. Mm, I don't know about that. They would throw in a reference here or there. Like when Rom, not Rom. Yeah, it was Rom. No. Shit, wasn't Rom. Who? Oh, God, the younger Ferengi. Nog, thank you. Oh, my God. When Nog was helping. Egg, just in case. (laughs) Nice. I think you said that before, but not on not online. So, <laughs> um, when that episode where Nog is helping Chief O'Brien uh, get a part, uh, and it, it ends up that he, ha- he one of the trades that he does is trades uh, Cisco's desk for uh, to to be so that some Starfleet officer or ambassador can take a picture of himself behind it and <laughs> and then he puts it back and he mentions Picard's desk was involved in this same kind of venture not with Nog but he knew how to entice yeah, this, this guy man. this guy has pictures with uh every you know with with famous starship captains yes starship captains. got it I heard there's you you hear variations of of this running gag through TV shows before oh I I've managed to sneak into a picture with every living president or right. you know, something along those lines. But my my point is, that's the only reference they make in that whole right. episode. Maybe in the whole month of episodes, it's that one reference. Here, it is a, it's every 20 seconds there's some kind of reference to something. Well, maybe they should make it a 20-episode season and it'll spread out. My God, maybe we could just like, I don't know, make episodic episodes. <laughs> that's another reason why I'm looking forward to Strange New Worlds, because that's what they're promising. I, I I can only hope. I can only hope. Um, and really, Lower Decks is pretty episodic. Lower Decks is pretty episodic. Here's the only thing about Lower Decks, and this is probably why I was able to separate myself and, and enjoy Lower Decks as much as I did. There's no real canon to Lower Decks. It's just joking upon itself. It you know is, what I mean? But you know what? 
they've they've developed characters. They yeah, all, no, they all their main cast have very distinct personality traits. You know, flaws. Uh, you know, they're starting to beef up a little bit the supporting cast, which ironically is the senior staff. You're seeing a little <laughs> bit more of that. You're seeing a bit more of the universe where there's something going on. The Packlids, why are the Packlids thing? And that became kind of a periodic check-in during season two. So there is a little bit of canon. Yes. We also get to see, what, two episodes, you know, with stuff aboard the Titan? Yeah. So Boimler was still on the Titan. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you do see, you know, it's expanding the canon. It's expanding the lore. You are seeing a little bit of, and the point of this is to show the non-glorious side of Star Trek, right? Because these are guys who do the jobs, second contact. You know what they are? They're basically administrators in, in supply dudes, and they do the unpopular things, supply runs. Dude. My first tour in Iraq, I did as many <laughs> patrols leading convoys of supplies as I did leading combat patrols, actually looking for the enemy. It's mm-hmm. got to get done. No, I'm, no. I'm just but, saying. You know, no, you're right. I mean, we got, and we got to not, see some it, of that. They're not boldly going. They're following up the people who boldly <laughs> go. So... <laughs> And we got to see some of that in that Voyager episode where, uh, oh, I can't remember the name, where Seven uh, does finds four crew members on Voyager that are kind of stagnating. And they purposely put themselves in these under, you know, carriage jobs, basically. Yeah. You know, and 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 that's fine, and I like that, and I and believe me, I like lower decks. I did. I, we did a whole episode about how you completely redeemed yourself. <laughs> how did I redeem myself? I, that, that was the joke that I used to open up this the the the, the show. Um, but uh, okay. Oh, this is where I was going to go back to. You're right, and yes, time passed for for Picard between seasons one and seasons two. We see the Federation be nice, happy, and healthy, and then the writers immediately immediately have to change the whole setting so that the Federation is now a confederacy of evil Nazis. So that's the setting we already have to jump to. (laughs) That's a trope. Anytime, Anytime you change timeline... Doesn't matter if it's Star Trek <laughs> or Marvel Universe or DC or whatever. Anytime you have an alternate universe, <laughs> an alternate dimension, you know, whatever, there's always the evil twin or there's right. always a Nazi version. <laughs> well, one of the yes, one of the biggest crossover, you know, one of the bigger TV crossovers of the Arrowverse was. The first time it was a full four-show crossover with Supergirl, Legends, Flash, and Arrow, where it's Crisis on Earth X, which is the the Nazi Earth that <laughs> that tries to invade our Earth, where you see uh-huh. like Nazi versions of our, your favorite superheroes. This and was Crisis have, on Infinite Earths. 
No, this is Crisis on Earth X, which was like two years before Crisis on Earth. Oh, okay. Okay. I got to download that. I got to watch that. That one was good. Um, Crisis on Infinite Earth was awesome. I mean, I, I would sell them to the package. So I would actually stack that up as if you were to talk about major crossovers. Avengers Endgame and Infinity War <laughs> are pretty much right up there, you know, at the top. And then Crisis on Infinite Earths beats out even J- Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm. Which was a better version of Justice League. Yeah. No, it absolutely was. And in fact, this is the anniversary of uh, two days ago or something... Oh, on Friday it came out uh, last year. Yeah, I caught well, myself uh, tweeting it, live tweeting it. <laughs> I just watched it like two months ago. Because, oh, did you? Well, I didn't have a, uh, HBO Plus or HBO Max. Yeah. I did get the DVDs for my birthday, and then I moved where I didn't have a DVD player. Mm-hmm. So... While staying with my folks, I decided to binge it on their HBO Max. So uh, <laughs> take advantage while you can. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, you know when so, I was visiting my folks, uh, you know, and they crashed early, I started watching it. Why? Because I wanted to see if it was better. I mean, I didn't hate the original Justice League. It no, was. I actually the, walked the out of it surprisingly was, happy. <laughs> the thing about it that was so disappointing was that it just was okay. Yeah. And it was maybe good, but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't even the Avengers, you know? Yeah. You know how people said that they kind of felt a little left down with Age of Ultron because it felt like they were shoehorning in a lot of stuff? Oh, boy, howdy. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how, at times, Joss Whedon's Justice League felt. And, yes, there was... The CGI Henry Cavill <laughs> was terrible. Um, I'll admit, some of the lighter moments in that, they had some good points. Um, one of the things that I miss most about that, before we get back to the thing, is... Remember when they're under Gotham Harbor trying to free the scientists from... Yeah. Uh from Steppenwolf. Yep. And in the original Justice League, or the one that was that came out in 2017, you know, that's where the Flash basically admits he doesn't know how to fight somebody. He just runs up, pushes somebody out of the way. And then Batman looks at him and just and says, save one person. I did like that. Anyone. I thought that was a really good line. That was actually it's a stepping a, stone. That was a pretty good piece of leadership guidance right there. Yeah. I'm a little it, disappointed that wasn't in there. I know it wasn't, you know, it, it was, and yes, the the ending, at, uh, I think, was a little more, uh, there was a little bit more hope. I mean, obviously, we didn't dive into the, you know, <laughs> post-apocalyptic fucking, um, the post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, the Omega situation. Oh yeah, yeah. the the, the uh, epilogue there that was pretty uh, bleak, mm-hmm. which obviously is like, 
are we ever going to see this? Or was this just a part <laughs> of the series? Well, that's what always bothered me about the idea of releasing the Snyder Cut. Because I knew before they even announced that they were going to release it, I knew that no one was going to be satisfied. Because it was only leading off into part two. <laughs> well, here's what else was frustrating. Is that I don't recall in, in Zack Snyder's Justice League. That weird scene where Barry Allen pops out of Bruce Wayne and says, "Yes, he's, he's the one." Lois, that is the actually key. would have fit better in Zack Snyder's Justice League than it did in uh, in Joss Whedon's Justice League, because then you at least got the payoff. Oh, there's fucking Barry Allen in his, you know, with his scruff and his armored, you know, Flash costume. Right. You're like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is setting something else up. And then it's like, uh... <laughs> so there was a couple of moments. But anyway, uh, the thing that I get most worried about with Star Trek is, in some ways, they've gone DC Universe. Um, before they've so even gone DC and, Universe. And Are you sure you're not from the DC Universe? Yeah. <laughs> or wasn't that it for Deadpool 2? Yeah, it was... <laughs> that was... The movie, the movie theater lost its shit when that was said. <laughs> well, I mean, it's completely meta, which... But in some ways, that's the way, like, particularly season one of Discovery felt. It was just so bleak. Even in Enterprises and Deep Space Nine's worst parts, I mean, it didn't seem like things were being terrible just to be terrible. I mean, no, uh, the Federation I mean, was... looked completely incompetent in the first season of Discovery. Oh, absolutely. And it, they didn't show it. They didn't show it much better in in season two, with with Section Thirty One. Uh, no. I mean. And but and then we have no federation in season three, or or you know the allegory of uh, no fu- no fossil it's like, fuels. It's basically <laughs> the United Federation of Rhode Island is really what it became. It you know, that really you is. <laughs> you could fit you could fit how many spaceships in the size of Rhode Island? Like, <laughs> dude, I mean, it was it was Andromeda. That's what it, it was. It, well, season, another season three of Discovery was in drama. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> a, a Roddenberry product and, and and project, it just feels like they're not really, they're not really exercising what they sh- they're supposed to in creating original stories. I'll give season four thumbs up for that, and actually season two, the Red Angel story arc was actually. A pretty fascinating one. Wasn't always executed as well as it could have been, but it was a different story. It was original. Yeah, but you know, it almost had some religious overtones to it or undertones to when you think about it. Absolutely, yeah, and and I'm fine with that, but. The, the problem with them focusing on season-long stories is they try to make some big-ass story out of something that can't be stretched out over a whole season. Like, well, they need to take some chunks out of 
like Babylon 5 or even Deep Space Nine's playbook. SG-1, Stargate SG-1 did this masterfully. They were able to have an overarching storyline, but they had like individual stories or aliens or planets of the week or... Yeah. When you do a streaming or a cable series now, they're like, they max out at like 12 to 15 episodes, if you're lucky. And it's all one story arc for one season. It doesn't matter. Which is only, really, it's only, let's say say it's 13 episodes, okay? Mm -hmm. That's nine episodes less than what a typical season gets. Which is basically, you know, they get half the episodes. I mean, Picard can run for like eight seasons and still not have as many episodes as the next generation. <laughs> right. Not, not, yeah, not even close. But I, uh, I'm just I mean, talking I about writing said that season they can three is, it up. Is, the, is the season for that, is the last season of Picard, but it's probably a wise decision with like an 85 year old star. <sighs> I don't mean to be ageist or anything, but it is pretty much Rios. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's just. I I mean, it's a tough he's, watch. He he's still a great actor. He, he just is. doesn't just... have the commanding voice he had in his fifties. Remember, he was in his fifties, late forties, late forties. His forties. The man was probably six years older than us when he got hired. Was he really? Yes. I'll even pull it up. <laughs> well, still, I mean, he was still not it. I mean, he still came to fame later in his life than many people. Right. To be honest with you, so did, so did his B, uh, BFF, Elon McKellen. Both of these guys got serious star power in, you know, the second half of their life. Now, uh, are you ready for this? Star Trek The Next Generation came out in 86, right? 87, but it started filming in 86. Started in 86. All right, let's say 87. The dude was 46 and a half when he got hired. <laughs> 46 and a half. <laughs> well, he didn't look old, but again, he was... I mean, he was supposed to be portraying Jean-Luc Picard was supposed to be in his mid-50s. I mean, the guy spent 22 years as captain of the Stargazer. That's true. I forgot about that. You're right, there was an age discrepancy. He's actually playing an older character than he actually is. Remember, he's what, 83? He's 83, and he's he's 99, 100. He's playing a 100-year-old character, so give the man some credit. He sounds a hundred. He does sound a hundred. <laughs> Maybe he's <laughs> acting a hundred. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when I've heard him interviewed in the last couple of years, I don't think his his voice hasn't sounded that weak. But I mean, I don't know how you can put that much rasp in your voice healthfully, healthy at this age. <laughs> no, I agree with Even that. Even still, he's eighty three years old. You got. I mean, he still commands the scene. You just got to listen a little better. Well, I feel like it's turning into this being being command of the scene and listening. I feel like he's turned into more of like a Bob Dylan kind of thing, where 
they want to have Bob Dylan perform at the at the Grammys, but they also put in like a full size orchestra behind him while while he plays in order to <laughs> help help kind of cover up his his la- his failings or his lacking lacking talent at this age. You know what I mean? Like they're they're doing they're doing this to cover his lack of stamina. Like with oh, these sure. different characters, Again, you know. He's- 83. <laughs> I know. And they're doing the Bob Dylan thing. He basically. seems to be in pretty good health and pretty good shape. I mean, a lot of times you actually have to get like signed off by uh the studios for health reasons. He was doing one armed push ups back in twenty twelve. You mean ten the... years ago when he was in his early seventies? Yeah. Yeah. So that's still impressive, but that's still <laughs> 10 years. I know, but that's I what I'm saying. In his early 70s, in his early 70s, he was doing one arm push ups. Think about that. Oh, yeah. I get it. And yes, do I think some of the other characters have had to step up a little? Sure. Um, but do I think that Patrick Stewart is any less capable? No. In fact, it's actually, I think it continues to play up to this thing that Star Trek is doing, we're showing that everybody has value. Except um, Elnor. I think he'll be back. <laughs> of course he's going to be back. When they fix the timeline, he'll be back. It's nice to see a little more personality out of him this season. Well, uh, again. He was underused last year. He was underused already this year, but. Almost you know. every character was underused last year. Almost the the only one that I'm happy with that they're not using is Soji. There would be no point to have her, unless she's the Watcher, which she's not. It's Picard's mom. Oh, I want it to be Benjamin Cisco so bad. I know they're they're going to be leading into. Okay, now we're going to go into speculation here. It's either going to it could be Guinan. Could be Guinan. Uh, you're 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 right there. It could be that. I mean, remember she was this... in San Francisco only like a hundred and some years before that. Not much long before that. That's true. Uh, they're they're gonna bring in the Bell Riots because that I was think a going seminal to point. It. Remember, the... they're not in the same city. I mean, granted, I know, but why be in 2024 at all? Why? No, why? I think why do that? It. It would be kind of, I'm sure you'll get like a fucking clip or like a picture. This is the man responsible for the riot. And it's going to be a stock photo that Nog was reading out of his Federation history in <laughs> Little Green Men. Right. And that's that's a reference that I find fun. When when Quark <laughs> goes, humans all look alike. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's Adrian Bell. He looks an awful lot like Captain Cisco, does he not? <laughs> Gabriel Bell. Gabriel Bell. What did I say? Adrian. Adrian. Look, uh, I'll I'll give the newer Trek shows credit. Each for whatever problems they had in the first season, their second seasons. Well, second season of Discovery was better. Second season of Picard. Well, we're only we well, don't know. We, don't, we, we only honestly have, don't know. No, but I like how they've started so far. 
I mean, I liked the first episode of the first season of Picard too. So I. The first episode of season two was really good too. Right, but it, you know, it was. It was more familiar. Yeah. It so, almost it almost seemed a little bit like. A little bit out of uh, the future from all good things. I'm not kidding. That really went through my mind. And I was half expecting to see Jordy in that that season two opener. Oh, when he's out there. Because uh, we see Q. We see Q. But we don't see Jordy. <laughs> that would have been good. But yeah. But that's what crossed my mind there. Genuinely thought, oh, wow, this would be a good time. We need, if we don't get any of them this season. Oh, you know who it could be? Wesley Crusher. The oh, watcher. my God. There's the Traveler. And then you have the Watcher. Now, that would huh. be cool. Then I'd love to see him on the ready room talk to himself. So what did you think? Oh, well, you know, it was really nice to be back in my first speaking role since like 1993. <laughs> just like just like how Patrick Stewart interviewed himself in the show Blunt. Uh, was well, it Blunt Talk? I yeah, saw the pilot <laughs> where he like he grills himself so bad he starts breaking down in tears. He's all hopped up on quaaludes or something, and he has no recollection of what. <laughs> He's like, I am the greatest interviewer. The only person that could interview me is me to get to the bottom of the <laughs> of the story. <laughs> it was. I saw the first episode, and it was so outlandish and bizarre, and yet so. It it, it shows that just how talented Patrick Stewart really is. Oh yeah. Um, that I wanted to see more, but I, I think I downloaded an episode off of iTunes and I just got distracted. I think it was a free episode. Yeah. I just, I don't think I, I just didn't get in, you know, didn't watch the rest, which I probably should have because the first one made me laugh so fucking hard. (laughs) It was, it was was delightful. (laughs) It was so delightful. Oh man, that's not even available for streaming on anything. I think that was on was it on Stars or something? I don't know. Might have it's, been. It doesn't say. It, it's on StuTube, Patrick Stewart's YouTube site. StuTube. Oh my god. Well, his Twitter <laughs> handle is Sir Pat Stew. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Okay. Well, well you, know, I, I, you, know, I, you know, we've seen the dark political front of, you know, of the Federation several times in the new, in, in Picard and Discovery. Starfleet kind of closing in on itself, being a tad xenophobic um, in Picard. You've seen the Federation being kind of naive and foolish in discovery. And then, of course, you have your evil admiral tropes and your, you know, mirror universe doppelgangers and your... By the way, can I say, I am really glad that Admiral Clancy from season one of Picard is not back. 
sheer fucking hubris. Which, to be honest with you, was a pretty good line, but she's horribly delivered. She was just obnoxious. I just, I. She was the worst. She was the absolute. I, they tried absolute to find another Nikhil, but she couldn't pull it off. She didn't have. <laughs> she didn't have the chops, the, the 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 gravitas that the woman who played Nikhil did. And, she's and got a tough name to say too. Picard, Picard already uh, clipped Nikhil's. Uh, um, I'm not wings, but. He won her over eventually. Well, he tried. He actually he did. tried. He did. Like, their relationship was actually well, you know, very, very pleasant near the end of the show. Yeah. And then she went to pissing off Benjamin Sisko. <laughs> yes. Yes, dead. <laughs> because but, he didn't get her. He didn't get her the right uh, uh, sandwiches or the right teas that she likes. <laughs> but, you know. I mean, they they overdid the evil admiral or the douchey admiral a lot in the next generation. I'm glad Deep Space Nine only did it like once. Well, it was nice to see a good admiral consistently. Well, um, you actually got that in season one and two of Discovery. Our Admiral Cornwell, yeah, was I actually a pretty her. solid I character. Her. I did she like was, her too. She was a lot more likable than a lot of the crew of the Discovery was in season. Uh, she was more memorable <laughs> than half that cast. The sad thing is, is that you have like an entire bridge crew that has as much has as many lines after three to four seasons of Discovery as the bridge crew have after two seasons of Lower Decks. Yes, and you know so. I mean, this season, I think they lean kind of heavy where almost every single one of the bridge crew actually had like a, we'll just call it a C plot to an episode where <laughs> they they would get up and actually have like 10 minutes to shine in the fucking show. Yes. Um, <laughs> like that android woman who... Oh, she since she was so such control, a background character, was taken up control by control, right? And so you knew she was going to die because right. that's what happens when you have relatively minor characters who don't really get much to do. All of a and, sudden, have a shitload of stuff to do. Yeah. Oh, that and is then, such a worn out trope. That was just. I'm so glad they didn't do that with O'Brien and like the wounded. You know, it's like, uh oh, we're making a big no. deal about the chief in this episode. If this was from, like, the late 90s or early 2000s, he would have died. Yeah, I feel like someone had a soft spot. Like, someone had, on that writing staff, had to have had some kind of Irish uncle that they based O'Brien off of. Well, I just think that they didn't want to waste Colleen's talent. If you see him in anything else... It's always sunny in Philadelphia. He was brilliant. I, you got to see Hell on Wheels, man. <laughs> he was great in Hell on Wheels. He plays a good I mean, bastard. He was a great bastard in Con Air. Uh, the the biopic about uh, Tolkien. He played a priest. Oh, really? Pretty much like Tolkien's like mentor. Huh. So it was. Yeah, it was. 
You get different things. He was in Get Him to the Greek. He played uh, Russell Brand's dad or something like that. Oh, man, I missed that. I only saw that that movie once. Yeah, it's not I saw as rewatchable it. as Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Well, it was one of those ones where I'm flipping through one of the eight English channels in the <laughs> Middle East. I'm like, ah, all right. Your options are a bit limited. Right. Wait, is that Colin Meany? Hold I'll on a second. <laughs> he was a bastard in Far and Away. He was, he's been in a lot of shit when you think about it. I mean, he's, he plays plays a good bastard. Is Miles O'Brien? Have... He was in Layer Cake. All right, did he have like a big career before TNG, though? Not really. He was just, I and mean, he's still technically a character actor, but he's like one who's like, oh, I know this guy, you know? You know, but he's he, he's enough of a, a a recognizable face that he's how many episodes was he in in that it's always sunny in Philadelphia? I'm sure he was in several. Three. Three, Three? yeah. Pretty so major he, story arc, yeah. Right. So what? They only have like ten episode seasons, right? This was an eight episode season that he was in. So yeah, even So he literally was in nearly half the episodes of that season. Yeah. So, I mean when you think about it, he, you get that, he's, he's that guy who, that, that's, it's, it's gotta be like an actor's dream come true. Like you get, you get a recurring, you know, you get a, a role, <laughs> they like you, so they bring you back, it becomes kind of a, kind of a, a minor recurring role, then you start getting some better roles, and then the next thing you know, you're a fairly decent supporting character. More often and than the, not, that person doesn't end up in a starring role on another successful TV show. That is true. And here we go. Call Meany, born 1953, uh, started his career in 1973. Yeah, so he's the he'd same been, age as me, <laughs> He'd been in and out, uh, you know, of Hollywood. Uh, he was in Moonlighting. He had a cam, uh, not a cameo, but a bit part in Dick Tracy. Um, oh, he was in, in the Die Patriot. Hard Two. Oh, uh, let's see what else. It was Moonlighting. I said that. Omega Syndrome. What? That's not like Omega Man, right? That was a different oh. thing. Yeah, and then uh, Die Hard Two, Die Harder. MacGyver, an episode. You said he was in Far and Away. Yeah. Yeah. Last of the Mohegans, Under Siege. Those are big ones that he he played um, Major Ambrose in Last of the Mohegans. Yeah, I think he got killed in that pretty quickly. (laughs) He had all these little bit parts for years. And I think Next Gen, I think, kind of gave him a little bit of recognition. He was just nothing but a bunch of bit parts at the beginning of Next Gen, too. And yeah, then, he didn't even have a name for like I, I don't even think for the first season. I think he only got the name O'Brien in season two. And of course he had like seven different jobs until they settled on him and the transporter chief. He was a security <laughs> guy, yeah. he was in the con. So. <laughs> what was but the he, transporter chief doing on the bridge during disaster? Like <laughs> I think he had come up to make a report or something. Yeah. It, it was yeah. something like that, but you know. I mean, when you think about it, the way I've always envisioned it was that, like, he was, like, the senior transporter officer. Or he was, like, the chief of transporters. Yeah. So. 
that's kind of the vibe I got. You saw him the most, so I kind of always felt he was the like the the head transporter guy. So maybe he'd have to run transporter schedules with Riker or something as the first officer. You know what I mean? That's true. You know, which would make sense. I mean, he his roles got meatier as we as he got into, you know, season four, five, and six of the next generation, which basically just primed him to be shown to be a viable character to be a regular on a spinoff. I think it was Data's Day where they really like looked into him and then That might have been the first. And then uh, what was the one where his old captain The Wounded. The Wounded. Great you, you said it earlier this, this The Wounded recording. Power Play Disaster uh whatever the one was uh with Barkley and the uh, transporter worms. Oh yeah. You know, oh. he had probably not oh, rascals. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. He had some decent uh parts aside, you know, most of them would be like, okay, he, he gets a scene or two in the transporter room or you know, ten forward. Um, you know, in the middle seasons of Next Gen, and then he starts getting parts to chew on. I mean, when you think about it, look at what Deep Space Nine did to their recurring cast. I mean, can does, did it not seem sometimes like Martok and Garrick and Dukat and Damar and Wayun <laughs> yeah, we did and Nog were all yeah. basically extended regulars? They were they on so many. Were. And when yeah. you look back, you're like, I can't believe this guy was only on 30 episodes. Right. I felt like he was in more episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a really huge recurring cast, which is something that Discovery kind of has. Like their bridge crew is basically their recurring crew. Right. They're in every episode, but they're not like on the main. You know, I don't think they're listed as main cast members. <laughs> no no and then after three and a half seasons they heave hoed one of the dudes off this season <laughs> i mean you know this year there was only like two regulars on the bridge at any point in time michael and saru you know tilly was gone really uh at halfway through the season she went to starfleet headquarters so she she missed half the season. So I mean, I wonder if that was a COVID thing. Wonder if it was a pregnancy thing. Yeah, I mean, huh? Because they did. I mean, they were filming season four right at the height of COVID, and yeah, maybe I, think... I don't know, but it didn't really. I mean, unless. I don't know. It, they it, started like, filming in like November of 2020. Are they filming in Canada? Because that could be part of the problem too. Yes, they are filming in Canada, in Toronto. Picard's but, in LA. Yeah, well, good. I mean, <laughs> but Canada has had such restrictive COVID laws still. So. I, yeah, you're, you're telling me. Jesus. I, I, I don't know. I just... The new Star Trek... I I think maybe some of their allegories are a little closer to the surface. 
But maybe they, that's they just don't... me with rose-colored nostalgia glasses. No, you're I mean, not wrong. The, the whole guy from the original series, half black and half white. I mean, that was pretty ham-fisted. It was a good episode. That is ham-fisted. But it was pretty ham-fisted. Well, I, I don't see the difference. Well, he's he's black on the left side. I'm black on the right side. <laughs> well, you're the fucking Riddler anyway. So I should believe you. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Frank Gorshin reference. Yeah. One of like uh, seven people to play the Riddler in Batman. I know, right? Jesus. <laughs> but your, your observation... <laughs> your observation is correct that they kind of beat you over the head with the allegory rather than have it be shall we say subtle in new star trek and it, it wasn't always i mean but again when you have 22 to 25 episodes a season you kind of stretch it out they don't really have bottle episodes in these and when they no. do it feels a little out of place but it should also give you the opportunity to tighten up your writing. Yes, and for the most part, they don't have the light episodes. No, no. TNG but, but again, always had a light episode every now and then. Deep Space Nine, even. That was well, pretty A lot of dark. those were the bottleneck episodes, too. And yeah, and you know what? Sometimes the bottle episodes, they give you a little break from the heaviness. You know, the Dominion War looming in the background, and you have Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. <laughs> you have uh, even the Magnificent Ferengi was, a, was both a pretty interesting war story, and it was pretty amusing. God, I think I've only seen that one once. That's a, that's a rewatch. Yeah. Me. It's funny, man. It's got some of the best lines in the entire series. They've got Iggy Pop, dude, as a fucking... <laughs> as a Vorta. We're talking about... I mean, you know, I mean, did we have Stephen Hawking, the only person to ever play himself in Star Trek history? Yeah. Did you have Mae Jameson, the only... Or at the time, at least, the only active astronaut to ever appear in Star Trek? But yes, you have Nick Fleetwood, you had uh, Iggy Pop, you had... All largely, all largely, by and large, neutral cameos. Yeah, Patton Oswalt had a cameo in <laughs> episode Spot two. 57? Yeah. Jesus Christ, I, I mean... You know, and the guy has been in like all... I, I just don't think he's been in Star Wars yet, and he's a huge Star Wars geek. But he's been in so uh, many of these. Oh, my God. I want to say, oh, my God. I looked it John up. John Favreau's got to work on that. Oh, I'm sure it's coming. He's had so many comedians <laughs> in The Mandalorian. Bill Burr. <laughs> Did you ever, do you ever watch Honest Trailers? All the time. All Did the time. Watch? Did you ever watch the Honest Trailer for the first season of The Mandalorian? Yeah. And get to the starring part and the best alternate dimension cast of Saturday Night Live. And it's like oh. Silver, Brian Pusain, Horatio <laughs> Stan, Jason Sudeikis. There was like eight comedians in that first that season alone. True. Not to mention Taika Waititi, who's just yep. batshit crazy. Yep. I mean, and to tap it all off, I think they, I mean, they had comedians in The Book of Boba Fett and 
I mean, Stephen Root, dude. <laughs> it's Stephen fucking Root. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and of course, man, that, I like that character, too, of Stephen Root. Oh, it was... Nobody respects you. <laughs> Again, another guy who's had pretty decent sci-fi cred. He's been in both <laughs> Star Trek and Star Wars. But, oh, yeah, man, I mean... Everybody wants to be in Star Wars. A lot of people want to be in Star Trek because there's huge fans. I mean, would not surprise me if at some point Brad Paisley gets a cameo in some Star Trek show. Is he a fan? Huge. He's had William Shatner in several of his music videos. He was in the audience. (laughs) I know he's a huge Battlestar fan, too. So It's so funny. It, it it it's funny seeing the reverence for Star Trek now, like the TNGs and the DS9s, the reverence that people have, cool, popular people have for that, because that was not at all the impression I had back in the Whoopi day. Goldberg, dude. I know. She basically begged to be on the next generation. That's I know. Kynan. She had to have a friend. She had to have a friend get her on. It took a friend yeah, to get we her all on. Know. <laughs> she had to get her idol to get her on. Yeah. But, but uh, again, I mean, but that also ties back into not only that we're talking about figures who want to, you know, who want to guest star on the show, but it also brings back to the politics. Martin Luther King asked Michelle Nichols not to leave the show because that was like one of the only shows they allowed their kids to watch because it showed an African-American woman in a position of respect and responsibility, which was basically not on TV at the time. Right. That role inspired a lot of people from what you, you know, you heard uh, Mae Jameson, Whoopi Goldberg, two of them right there. Mm -hmm. Big influences. And... I don't liken that so much as politics as just future math Have and you doing watched the right the thing. View with Whoopi? <laughs> well, that's that's a whole different thing. I mean, <laughs> trust me, the View Whoopi is a very different Whoopi from Guinan Whoopi. So yeah, everybody loves Guinan. Every <laughs> everybody loves Guinan. Guinan was a great ad. And when you think about it, Whoopi around that time had just won an Oscar. Oh, she did, didn't she? Was it for I mean, the color purple? No, I. she may have been nominated. No, she won for Ghost, for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, shit. God, and that was a fucked up movie to watch at my age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think and she has EGOT, too. She does. I mean, she's a singer. Or was a singer. I don't know. I think the Grammy was for a spoken word album. Was it? It wouldn't have surprised me if she wanted, you know, I don't know if she ever put out a comedy album. I know she, I think she came up as a stand-up comedian. Right. But obviously she's been known, you know, very well-respected and extremely gifted. Yes. uh, Actress. And of course, my favorite role of hers is Guinan. 
Oh, yeah, I love and I found Guinan to be an absolute and we talked about this with the, the first episode review of season two. I mean, Guinan is where you need her to be. And I found that reassuring to see her. Guinan is also they gave Guinan better uh, psychology, you know, lines and tips than they gave Troy. <laughs> Which is why I think. Nepenthe might have been one of her best episodes in season one. She was able to get it out of Sochi. Well, she was also, I think they just allowed Marina to be Marina. True. She wasn't in some skin-tight little outfit. She wasn't like, Captain, I feel, no. (laughs) She she called everybody out on their bullshit, which is basically who she is in real life. Yes. But she was also spark. pretty cool about it. Yeah. And although I, the episodes where she was like counseling Barkley when he was in Voyager weren't bad either. No. Um, I, I think her best um, psychology jobs have been Barkley. That's a, well, absolutely. And. <laughs> I just I love the scene where Barkley finds her at the beach and he just comes off as so creepy. <laughs> and Troy has to reprogram herself to in that moment to be like, okay, all right, this is Barkley we're talking about. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, but <laughs> but you are correct. Which I by agree the way wholeheartedly. When, when people want to talk about Tilly as possibly somebody on the spectrum or somebody overcoming issues. I didn't hear any of that, but okay. Yeah, there's definitely, there's there's some... Oh, I'm sure it's out there, but, yeah. Well, you know, when you just see her, her reactions and her, her idiosyncrasies, there could be some of that. But you also have somebody who's extremely, particularly early, extremely... She... She has a lot of doubts, a lot of insecurities. That was Reg Barkley. Reg Barkley. Yeah, Reg was was first. Was probably the first example of them showing a, who wasn't a bad guy, but a Starfleet officer who didn't live up to the shining examples. Yes. You know, before that, you would have either guys who were bad guys, guys who'd gone insane, or the racist guy from the Balance of Terror. <laughs> you know? Mark Leonard? No, they had the bridge guy, you know, because it was, like, early, so they didn't have, like, Chekhov and whatnot. And he kept oh, he racist again. He was racist <laughs> against Spock, especially oh, when he found out that they were, when they discovered what the Romulans looked like. So. Yeah, I'm genuinely going, wait a minute, Mark Leonard got canceled? What did he do? <laughs> he, he's been he's been gone from this earth nigh on at least a decade. Now, so. if you rewatch Balance of Terror, you'll see. But um, Okay. But yeah, you get to see a non-perfect Starfleet officer, a guy who's not incompetent, but whose insecurities are so crippling it affects his ability to do his job, mm-hmm. which is really kind of fascinating when you see it compared to his other previously well-known role as Howling Mad Murdoch from the A-Team. 
because his opening true. scene shows him in a hol- getting into a holographic bar brawl with like Riker and dudes and ten forward, and then it's like Lieutenant Barkley, would you please come to the bridge? He's like, uh, uh, you know, he's like computer and program, <laughs> and he goes on. So, oh, you can definitely say that Star Trek has shown these things before. Their politics have shown through before. And even when they're trying to put out a good message, sometimes it hits. More often than not, it hits. doesn't always. Sometimes it's been ham-fisted before. I do think Discovery probably looks a little more ham-fisted because there's so much fewer episodes. So if you miss once every, you know, three to four episodes, and there's only 10 to 12 episodes, it looks far worse. If you miss once every five episodes in a 25-episode season, maybe it doesn't look as bad. I mean, there's something to be said about that. But I, I mean, still think I still think that you have an excuse to tighten things up at that point. I, I agree as well, because, uh, I mean, Battlestar did 10 to 12 episodes, and they uh, they kept it pretty tight. Right. They kept it. They kept it really dark. Um, <laughs> it was not supposed to be really hopeful, and because they were trying to go the anti-cheese of the seventies. So right. I mean, well, they, were, was, they were doing Star Wars. Right, they were, and this was like this was almost like wagon train. This was really almost like wagon train to the stars. <laughs> this battle star. This is true. This was true. Death, disease, attacks <laughs> by hostiles. Constant, constant, uh, constantly being hunted. Deadly interpersonal rea- interactions, all this shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It had as much spy, it, it was as much spy thriller half the time because you're like, oh, that one's, that guy's a Cylon, but nobody knows. <laughs> That's true, too. So, I mean, you, you, Battlestar really kind of, I think, set the true stage for science fiction shows to be like this. I mean, it was like Battlestar was coming out of the time when The Sopranos and The Wire were out. You know, dark, gritty kind of realism, even though it's a sci-fi premise. I mean, it was Battle- a post, it was post 9-11 at that point. I mean, right. So a lot of things. All of our media gritty, was going that way. Paranoid, militant. Right. So I, I mean, the question would be, why keep it that dark and militant? <laughs> but well, it worked for Battlestar, but that's not really been Star Wars bag or Star Trek's bag. Exactly. Right? Even so. Deep Space Nine. In its darkest hours, Voyager, Enterprise, in their darkest hours, they'd still have a take me out to the hollow suite. Yep. North Star. You know. Yeah. For the uh, the Captain Proton episodes for Star Oh God. For Captain Voyager. Chaotica or, or Queen Bride of Chaotica or something like that. Yeah. I mean <laughs> either light or bottle. I mean it, look at the Zindi arc, right? Enterprise, they're like, wait, there's fucking humans here? Hold on. I know we've got a 
figure out what's going on with the Zindi, but what the hell's going on here? Yeah. I mean, no, it was... Yeah. And that was kind of dark, too, when you think about some of the subject matter in it. You know, racism and... Genocide. Uh, yeah, oppression. Uh, cultural... Cultural you know, eradication. Subversion. Yeah. And then you have a standoff in the middle of the street between Old West Cowboys and fucking armed-to-the-teeth Makos of the 22nd century. <laughs> I mean, even though it, it was, I wouldn't exactly call it a light episode, it definitely was kind of a bottle episode that yeah. was fun. Okay, and I think I think that I think that this this should be the moment the the parting lesson that we need to just chew on. It's not impossible to be lighthearted and have some fun. You're chewing your lip. God damn it! I, the, to, to, it's not impossible to be serious but also be lighthearted and fun at the same time. There are completely good examples. I'm not going to say it again. B five okay. did a decent job. Stargate SG one did a fantastic. I've I've been rewatching SG SG one season nine lately, so it's just great. Um, but that being said, let's see where the trail goes, and then we will look upon it and decide if we had fun or not. Well, I'm. I spent a lot, you know, I spent a few years just after I was felt kind of disappointed with like the first two episodes of Discovery that they showed on TV. Mm -hmm. I really was kind of turned off by it. So I kind of closed my mind to it. I've tried to give it more open mindedness. There are still times where. You can definitely tell that the people who write Star Trek have no idea how an actual chain of command fucking works. <laughs> that's that's been for forever. There are times where they see they somehow get it right. Other times they're like, oh, yeah, let's have these cadets just not listen to the fucking lieutenant. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Yeah, that's a that's that's. Oh, uh, I would love to see a bunch of cadets try to blow off a, a an army or a marine captain. Oh, oh please let man. me see that. Oh my god! Please I, let I'm a couple getting, of cadets I'm get nervous thinking about it. Jesus. <laughs> and we're not even, you know, we're not even the ones who are supposed to be dealing out the discipline. That's like no. <laughs> like the non commissioned officer realm. I mean, granted. So you get this pseudo thing, but I'm I am excited for Picard's next episode. I hope to be able to watch it before we record later this week. I keep thinking today's Wednesday. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, for me it is Wednesday now. Yes, it is. And we gotta wrap that up. We shall see how how Picard. Like I said, let's travel. Let's take the the path, and we we might stub our toe here or there and be miserable 
at that moment. But when we look back upon it, we'll see if we truly felt better about it. Yep. So. And can't wait to see who the president of the Federation is. (laughs) Guthrie. Oh, my God. (coughs) I'm not even going to go there. Wow, that'd be awesome. <laughs> My All hope right. is that it's Sam Elliott, but that's just me. Oh, no, not Sam Elliott right now. <laughs> you heard about his controversy, right? What, that he didn't like uh, Yellowstone or he doesn't like... He didn't uh, like the art the, of the dog or the power of the dog. Like, he hated it. Okay. Supposed to hate it. <laughs> but <laughs> that if he hates it, he hates it. That's okay. <laughs> he said he doesn't even watch Yellowstone, the thing that his show was spun off of. I know, it's great. He says he loves Taylor Sheridan, the guy who wrote it, who who's done all the, you know, a lot of the actors on it. He's just done a huge fan of the writing. Like yeah. <laughs> dude, did some of those guys write your episodes? Yeah. <laughs> but look, the man's 75. He he's basically the poster child for manly men. At what point do you stop giving a shit? I think he stopped giving a shit like 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. If he ever gave a shit. <laughs> uh, but right now the man's having a decent career resurgence in his 70s. So yes. People want to know what he's thinking. Nope. They found you know, out. <laughs> the problem is, is that he's a man in his 70s who's going to tell you what he's thinking. <laughs> All right, well, on that note, I just want to put out there before we sign off, everyone, find out, you know, we we know what Sam Elliott thinks. You know what we think, but we want to hear what you guys think. We've got a Twitter out there. So our handle is at those sci-fi guys. All one word, obviously. It's Twitter. Or you can also hit me at at P.S. McKay. Uh, But I like to get some... Hashtag Cavman rules. Well, that'll happen. Yeah, of course. But we want to hear some feedback from you, see what you guys think and and whatnot. So let us know there. But on that note, DT, anything else before we ride on out? I just want to say I enjoy the hopefulness that Star Trek tries to bring to me. As a man who's seen a lot of bleakness, a lot of darkness, when you see that end of Rogue One where they show the they give the CGI Leia the plans and what is this? And she just says hope. That's kind of the vibe I got a little bit out of that interaction between Burnham and uh President uh Stacey Abrams there. <laughs> well, that wasn't her character's name, but yes. I know what they were going for. And I appreciate that, because that's all we want from Star Trek. And that being said, you guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. We'll see you on the high ground. Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by AlphaSite Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay 
or go to thosesci for past episode information. 